0: Let me ask you a question how many of y'all like oysters anybody like oysters anybody like raw oysters you're a raw oyster fan dude i am the biggest raw oyster fan and i've been eating them my whole life gary i can remember on the beach you remember the day that used to be cheap surfer food cheap beach food because we could just go out in the lagoon and harvest some and eat them as long as they were covered at low tide right wasn't that the rule Water was clean, man, we'd knock them off. And, dude, that was a cheap way for them to feed me when they were babysitting me and they were surfing at the beach. And, man, I just remember eating oysters right out of the right out of, uh, Indian River Lagoon, out of uh, Mosquito Lagoon, Banana River, all those areas up near Cocoa Beach and all in there. Uh, later, I can remember in high school going to New Smyrna Beach, man, and everybody would have the back of their truck full of ice and bushels of oysters. Oh, hang on, somebody's calling me. Hey, yeah, yeah, dude, let's see who this is. Oh, they hung up, man. Oh, dude, All right. I mean, the next time, we're gonna to talk to somebody. Church. Right. But, anyways, uh, they'll probably call back to leave a message. But, anyways, man, I can remember like in high school, everybody bring their trucks and they fill them up with bushels of oysters and and all our uh, beverages and cocktail sauce and all this stuff. And we'd have shuck them and suck them parties out on the beach and at the New Smyrna Beach down by the inlet and just pop them up. You used to be able to drive on the beach. I don't know if you still can or not. I've been out here so long, but. Then in college, I went to Flagler College in St. Augustine for $16, $16. You could buy a bushel of oysters. And um, we not only did the Shuckerman second parties out of the back of my truck up on Anastasia Island, but at Flagler College, I don't know if y'all know, but back in this day, when I went, it was they used to say it was going to be hard to get in. Like, yeah, right. We're baseball players. We we'll do what we want. And, and we had these dorms with these beautiful like fireplaces that didn't work with marble carved chair. It was the old Flagler Hotel. We had clawfoot bathtubs that were cast iron. And what we used to do, they built a fire escape back right next to my dorm, which was in the back. So we would haul bushes of the oysters up in ice and fill up that claw to. Uh, Clawfoot bathtub full of oysters, and then we got other people to do it, and the RAs couldn't do anything about it, man, because the whole floor smelled like oysters. It was awesome. <laughs> it's 16, and so man, I've been eating oysters a long time. Man, I can just, just tell you lots of oyster stories, but I, you can imagine how excited I was when at the turn of the century, that's 2000, <laughs> the turn of that century, uh, The my uh, sister and brother-in-law they decided they were going to build a beach house our south of Tallahassee, which is just east of Apalachicola. Anybody know what good Apalachicola used to be? Man, that was where the biggest, juiciest, man, big snotball oysters lived, man. Oh my goodness, you pop those things open and they were like, oh, it was heaven. And, um, and, 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 and now they were going to have a house right there so they'd build a house, but as they were building the house, first, man, we had like a, you know, a lot, so you'd camp in the lot. Then they'd build a, you know, a, 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 what's, a foundation, so you camp on that. Then they'd have sticks, and you camp there. Finally, the house was built, and man, we could still get oysters pretty cheap there. And I used to go to the place called My Way Seafood. One of the things I do is I always make friends with the local retailers and uh, especially if they're selling oysters, Terry. And so, My Way Seafood, they were my buds, and I'd go there, and man, I I told them, look, I'm coming here twice a year maybe. Right before we start school, that's when our family would get together for a little vacation. You just kind of come back together and say, are we ready? Are we ready for the, the, the rush that school's going to be? Can we make it till Christmas? And then somewhere between Christmas and New Year's, we'd take another break. We either went up there where my sister lives, or we'd go down to the Keys. One of the two, but we'd recollect. And whenever we went up there, man, oh, I would get oysters. Man, my son, Emily, you ate some oysters with us, didn't you? No? It was just me and Matt. I, I, you know what, when I am in an oyster coma, I have no idea who's even around me, man. It just, you know, and once we couldn't pop open, we'd throw in another cooler, because then when we were barbecuing, we would just take those and throw those on the grill, and as soon as they popped, we'd pop them in our mouths, too. So. But you didn't eat oysters, but you ate crabs with us, right? Yeah, we ate a lot of blue crabs, but man, Matt and I used to sit there and pound oysters. We'd just sit on the porch and just eat them. And, and I'd say until we got sick, but we never got sick. Until one time, <laughs> and and man, one time, oh my goodness, it was August. Now, if and how many of y'all know the rule about months? What's the rule about eating oysters and not eating? Do you know the rule? Tell me the rule. It has to end in birth, so it, it has to have an R in it. Yeah, it has to have a month has to have an R in it. Otherwise, you get what you deserve if you eat those oysters. So May, June, July, and August. Woo, buddy, you're taking your life into your own hands if you eat oysters during those months. But man, you got September, October, November, December, January, February, March, and April to just pick out. But we happened to be up there in August. We happened to be up there one August, and it was like, it wasn't quite September. Not that changing the calendar was really, good. it has to do with the coolness of the water and bacteria and stuff, but... I would have felt better with September. So I went to my way seafood and I said, Yeah, it's August, early August, actually, and I'm not going to get any oysters. He's like, oh man, come on, man. You got to get oysters. And I'm, I'm like, dude, I don't want to get sick. He said, no, man, I got suppliers. He said, I have the best suppliers for oil. He said, look at these oysters. And dude, they looked good in the big bag. He's like, look at them, man. He said, plus, if they're if they're not any good, you can bring them back. I didn't think of all the ramifications of that. I just thought, oh, dude, money-back guarantee. <laughs> and uh, so he talked me into buying these oysters at the beginning of August. And I, I had them. I knew better. Have you ever done something where you just absolutely knew better, but you did it anyways? And then later, like, oh, I can't believe I did that. August, man, I ate. I, we had these oysters, and I, I, I got so sick. I can't even remember if Matt got sick, too. He might have had wisdom as an 11-year-old or something to not eat them, <coughs> wisdom that I'd have. But whenever it all happened, man, I just remember I pounded these oysters. And my wife, even in her loving voice, didn't you always say that it has to have a month with R? Yeah, but this dude said these are good. He promised me they're good. And I'm like, they're shaking their head and they're just letting me eat and I'm eating. Well, needless to say, it doesn't take long for a bad oyster to have a table for two in your lower intestines. And, uh, and, and along with all of them, if he ate a bunch of them. And, and long story short, without going into a great deal of detail, Charlie, I lost about 11 pounds in two days <laughs> from that bushel of oysters. And I swore I would never do it again. Have you ever had consequences so bad you swore you're never gonna do it again? And while you're in the midst of that pain, you're like, I'm never gonna do it again. Well, guess what? After a couple days, grueling days, and not only grueling days, but I actually had to stay in the house. And if you know me, that's like prison camp. I can't stay put. I have to be moving. I have to be doing something. So as soon as I started feeling a little bit better, I jumped in my truck and I headed to town. As I headed into Crawfordville, you know, all intention was not to get more oysters, obviously. My intention was to get some gizzards, all right? Because, dude... <laughs> That is the gizzard capital of the world. I would take you to three or four gas stations that have the best gizzards in the entire universe next to Windsor Castle, Jamaica, where I had the best ones I've ever had. But anyways, I plan on going up there. And as I pulled by, I was like, you know, I'm going to tell this dude at My Way Seafood just so nobody else gets sick. I pulled into My Way Seafood, and I started talking to the guy, and I said, hey. He's like, how were the oysters? I said, well, you ain't seen me for a couple days, right? And I was like, they weren't so good. He's like, no way. He said, the state has regulations on these. They test things. And he said, he said they were bad? And I said, yeah, they were real bad. I said, they tasted good, but they didn't feel real good. And he's like, well, I'll give your money back. He said, did you save the shells? Can you imagine? He said, did you save the shells? Now, after two days of excruciating pain and, and losing 11 pounds, the last thing I might Dude, I didn't want to see those shells ever again. I'd thrown them over in the slough next to the house. And, and I'm like, save the shells? You want me to go collect? He said, yeah, if you can get me shells, I'll give you your money back. I'm like, dude, I can't do that. He's like, well, I'll tell you what. He said, since you can't get me a shell, he said, because I can send them back to the, man, to the guy who harvested them because he's responsible. And I'll get you your money back if I can get it back from him. But I need the shells. I'm like, no, nah, I don't have shells, man. And I'm not going in the swamp to get them. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you another bag for free. <laughs> I hope you don't lose all confidence in me. <laughs> oh my goodness, I, my first thought was like, no way dude. But he's got away with words when it comes to oysters, man. He was speaking my love language. <laughs> I got another bag of oysters. Now anywhere that's gonna pop me up like Pav- Saladin like Pavlov's dog, right? But then he said, free. <laughs> well, money-wise, they were free. And so he breaks out the oysters, and he's like, look, man, look. They're, he, he said, look, we'll even pull out any that are popped open. How many of y'all know if an oyster is popped open, do not eat that one, right? Okay. He said, we'll pull you pull up." Well, my thoughts should have been if some of them were popped open, some are dead, and they're getting ready to pop open, and that's what my problem was to begin with. But guys, you know how easily you can get misled by your senses and and by your lust, your lust for oysters. And so as we're going, he's making more and more sense to me. All right, because I'm just not thinking with my logical side of the brain, I'm thinking with the go for it. And he's convinced me fully that this second bag of oysters is gonna be way better. So I take it. I get the oysters. He even gave me extra ice, <laughs> what a nice guy, and and, and gave me extra ice. I remember bringing them home and my whole family going, <laughs> and I'm like, no, he promised these are gonna be okay. I ate every one of them oysters, and I'm like, see, they're good, until, woo, woo, woo. and it was like, the same thing happened again. Now, I will tell you, I did save the shells, I did get my money back, <laughs> and I did not get another bag of oysters, aren't you proud of me on that? <laughs> Oh my goodness, how many of y'all have ever made a mistake more than once? <laughs> and how many of you have ever seen somebody getting ready to make that same mistake again and you want to warn them, don't do it, don't do it? Anybody ever try to warn somebody? And then they think, oh, no, it's different this time. I'm going to do something. I want to tweak it a little bit from you. I'm going to do this, and it'll work out okay. And it didn't. And what do you want to tell them? told you so. Yeah, but honestly, if it's losing 11 pounds in two days off bad oysters, you don't even have the heart to say, I told you so. You're just like, oh, my goodness. I am praying mercy on that person. So, man, I did it twice. I'm not proud of this. But buddy, if I ever saw you eating oysters in a month that didn't have R in it, do you think I'm gonna say something? Absolutely, and please don't be offended if I say something, all right? Because I would be remiss if I didn't say something because we want people to learn from our mistakes, don't we? Especially if our mistakes were very costly. Especially if we can help people avoid those mistakes. Isn't that what we try to do with our kids? How many of y'all know? that the scariest thing about being a parent is your kids are just like you? They have your genes, yeah? How many of y'all know the scariest thing about being a kid is you're just like your parents? (laughs) Yeah? You're like, no, I'm not. One day, you will realize, oh my goodness, I am just like my dad. (laughs) Now, there's good qualities of that, great things with your parents, but there's also some, how many of y'all know something about your parents you said, I will never be like that? Yes, you will. It's in your genes. You'll do it. Pray! And, 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 and your parents, man, when they come to you and say, oh, don't do that, don't do it, You know what, they, they don't want you to make the same mistake they made. But I mean, how many of y'all thought, oh, they don't know any, they don't know anything. They don't understand, this is 2021. This isn't 1821, you know, and not that how you think? Man, everything, the hardest thing for a parent is to watch their kids make the same mistakes when it could have been avoidable. And it's the same thing with God as our parent, man. He has warned us. He's given us direction. He's given us counsel. And he doesn't want us to make the same mistakes again. Not because he's some killjoy. He just doesn't want you to have the pain of eating two bushels of raw oysters over a period of four days. He doesn't want you to suffer the consequences of that. And people who love God and walk with God... Are doing the same thing because none of us are perfect every one of us is sinned. all of us have come short of the glory of God and it's only by his grace and his mercy that we're not dead you know that we're still surviving we've got another day to live for him and tell people about him and as we close the first book of Peter now, I'm not sure if we're going into 2 Peter or we're going to do Ephesians. Y'all pray for me this week as we sort of figure out where we're going. I'm going both directions, but today we're probably going to finish 1 Peter chapter 5. And as we finish 1 Peter chapter 5, you're going to see Peter with everything in him say, Learn from my mistakes. mistakes. Learn from my mistakes. All right. Hey, so when you guys think of the Apostle Peter, can you think? Help me out, guys. Help me out. Tell me some different mistakes or things that Peter might want you to learn from. Raise your hand and just tell me. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. He told um, Jesus was telling him about um, that he's trying to go to the cross. Uh, Peter rebuked him. Yeah. No way. And I remember when Jesus said, Go get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Yeah, so he rebuked Peter. Uh, Rebuke uh, Jesus. Jesus said, I got to go to the cross. No, you don't. You're not going to do that. He's trying to tell God what to do. Yeah, that's a mistake. Anyone else? What do you think of me? Think of Peter? Yeah, Judy? Keep your eyes on Jesus because otherwise it will fall. Ooh, when you got out of the boat. Dude, that's commendable. He got, how many of y'all would have got out of the boat to give it a shot at walking on water? Yeah. All right? Yeah. How many of y'all think you would have been guilty of seeing the water and taking your eyes off Jesus and sinking? Yeah, how many of y'all would have, as soon as you started sinking, been as quick as Peter was to say, save me? <laughs> or how many of y'all have been treading water to this day, <laughs> you know? that—that that, Yeah, so that was a mistake. What else? What else y'all think of when you think of Peter? Anybody? Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Impulsive. What's that? Impulsive. Impulsive, yes. He was impulsive. Yeah, in fact, one person I've, I've heard Peter refer to as the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. <laughs> the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth Anybody resemble that remark? You have a foot-shaped mouth? Yeah So you can identify with Peter In fact, I grew up Catholic, many of you know And I had my, you know, bat, my, my christening when I was little Then I had First Holy Communion And then they, they were telling us in, in Catholic school You have to do this thing called confer, confirmation And it's where you kind of like make a decision That you're going to do things God's way or whatever And we were just like, well, we had to do it and they were like, "You have to come up with a confirmation name," and I'm like, "A confirmation name? I got a name." Like, "No, no, pick somebody in the Bible that represents you, or you represent them." And I'm like, "Dude, that's easy. That's Peter." <laughs> so I have that foot-shaped mouth. Yeah. Anything else on Peter? Who, who else? Yeah. Go ahead, Tom. Denied Christ three times. Yeah. Oh, denied Christ three times after he had said, after he even cut off Malchus Malchus's ear. After he said, I'll never, everybody else will ditch you, but I won't ditch you. And he stood up to big soldiers, but three little, a little girl, he denied them three, he denied three times. Denied Christ. Yeah. Denied. Anyone else? What else you think of when you think of Peter? Because all these things are when, going to come up. Go ahead, John. At the Mount of Transfiguration, they, they wanted to build an altar <laughs> yeah. They saw him go up and, you know, they wanted to build an altar to what happened. Yeah. That he, he was risen. Yeah. So, so at the Mount of Transfiguration, when he saw glorified Jesus, he's like, "Man, let's just build. Let's just build a tabernacle here and let's live here. Forget about the rest of any of your other plans, God. I'm good. Let's live here. This is a great place to be." And Jesus' work wasn't finished yet. Yeah. Impulsive. What else? What's that? Oh, temper? Is that what you said? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, when he saw Jesus being arrested, whooped out a sword, cut off the dude's ear. How would you like to have been there when Jesus, like, picked up that ear and just stuck it back on? That's pretty cool. But, yeah, yeah. Anyone else on Peter? All right, yeah, Judy. He's a fisherman of men. Say that again? He's a fisherman of men. He's a fisherman. Okay, a fisherman. Of men. Of men. That's what he became. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing when Jesus takes over your life. So let's take a look. And we're going to look at this last little section, and uh, we're going to kind of pick it apart to see, you know, if you read it, you just read it. And it's like, okay, Peter says, do this, do this, do this, do this. But let me know when you sort of see where Peter is trying to tell you, learn from my mistakes. Learn from my mistakes. And, And Peter made some great mistakes. And now that he has Christ, he's like, man, I've done it my way, but Jesus is way better. Do it this way. Learn from my mistakes is what I keep seeing in all this. So there's some thoughts. He says, he says, live well and lead well. And in fact, when we ended in chapter four, uh, Peter was telling us that uh, he said, there's going to be a fiery trial coming to the church. You guys are under some sort of persecution now, and and I'm helping you get through that. But understand there is going to be a fiery trial. There's going to be intense persecution like you've never seen before. He was prophesying for the persecution from the Roman government, that they were going to come in and what was actually going to happen there. And he said, these are some principles you guys are going to need. And he even said, judgment's coming and it's coming to the house of God first. In other words, I'm going to clean out the house of God to make it holy and make it pure. So anybody wanting to come will get real... Christ and not some mamby pamby watered down Christ. I'm gonna, and that's how God's always cleaned out the church. He's always made the church strong through persecution, and so that's what Peter's doing here. And so he says, if judgment's going to start in the church, then guess what? The leaders, the pastors, the elders, the bishops, the overseers, the people who are the leaders in the church—they need to be right. And so he starts off in the first little section talking specifically to them, but. We'll take a look and see how that applies to you or everyone in this church. <clears throat> so he starts off and he says, I exhort the elders among you. Now, when we think of elder, sometimes we think of somebody who's old chronologically. That's what he's talking about. He, some, you know, some of you think, oh, somebody who's been in the church a long time. No, that's not what he's talking about. Did you know that, that one of these young people could actually be an elder to one of the older people in here? If they have been following the Lord longer, if not, not chronologically, because somebody could be a believer and say, I've been following the Lord, but to what degree have you been following the Lord? It's all about this word elder is all about maturity. It does refer there were, there was a position in the church, the word Bishop, pastor, elder and overseer. I know churches like to divide all that up. Well, I'm an elder, Well, you shouldn't be an elder unless you're qualified to be a pastor you know, or a bishop or an overseer or a shepherd in all of that. They're all the same thing. It's the same Greek word that's in there. People divide stuff up, making a hierarchy in a church. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying it's right. There is evidence that's what they did in there. I don't personally like how you have pastors and you have elders and all of that. And again, that's just my preference in there because I see them as the same word. And what I see is when they use the word elder, what they're talking about is somebody who's maturing as a believer. Is that not what we've been celebrating in our joy bucket? You guys, man, how many of you would say that you have matured, you are maturing as a believer? Can I see your hand? Yeah, that's not bragging, that's not like, you know, know, well, I've arrived. How many of y'all would say you've arrived? Oh, please don't put your hand up, (laughs) yeah. As long as you know you've not arrived. So at any point, if you are maturing, you are more mature spiritually than someone else. In the Great Commission, what does he tell us? He says, "He says, go into all the world, or as you're going into the world, uh, make disciples. That's the mandate. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bringing them into a fellowship. And he says, in case you forgot what discipleship is, it's teaching others what I have taught you. And so as Christ teaches us, as Christ is teaching Carol, you know, and, and then she now shares that and teaches that with us. If she's more spiritually mature than me, do I have something to learn from her? Yeah. And, and it's, it, at any given point in time, so again, I'm not bashing the whole structure of the church. And in context, he is. He's writing these first five verses to pastors, the leaders. But what are leaders supposed to do, according to Ephesians? Pastors are supposed to equip who? The saints. And as pastors equip the saints, guess what? You guys are maturing spiritually, and you're going to find people. How many of you have found somebody who is less spiritually mature than yourself? And you can raise your hand. It's not, And that's good, because everybody needs a Paul, and everybody needs a Timothy. You need somebody to always be looking up to, to be growing, and you should always have somebody to be discipling. It doesn't mean you're superior, you know. That's not what it is. We're all in this together as believers, and God puts us together. So so he's talking in context about the pastors, the leaders in the church. And each church had a little bit different structure and so on. And it, the truth be known, if you look at the first century church, it wasn't one dude getting up and speaking to 5,000 people or 50. What they did is more like what we did in our small groups. Spirit-filled believers got together. And they shared it, but there was somebody there to keep it in context. There was somebody there to facilitate. There was somebody there to make sure that it stayed doctrinally sound. And there was somebody there to lead. There's always got to be people to lead. So as if you, you know, we look at it as an elder, a pastor, a bishop, an overseer, Then guess what? You're supposed to be equipping people who are then equipping people, who are equipping people. So at any point in time, how many of you would say, I am, God is using me to disciple somebody, to help? God has used me in the last month to help somebody see life from God's perspective. Yeah. So there it is. That's how this, that's how this works for you. And how you can apply even this first section, even though context he's talking about, you know, exact about the pastor. He said, Judgment's coming to the church. He said, but it's gonna start, it's gonna start with the church. And it and, and you know what? If you are gonna need to see God's perspective, you better find you a good pastor. That's what he's saying. That's what he's gonna say. You gotta find a good pastor. I don't care if you've been in this church a hundred years. I don't care if this church has been a hundred years around. I don't care if you've got some position in here. I don't care if you've got responsibility. He said, when the rubber. Hits the road when the rubber meets the road. That's how it says. You know, when when it all comes down, when it hits the fan, you better have somebody you can count on to show you God's perspective. That's what you're going to need. Is what he says in here. So when I, I exhort the elders among you. So I'm exhorting the elders among you, and I'm not saying you have a position in the church as a pastor, but all of you who are discipling somebody. I'm exhorting you. And Peter goes and says, as a feller, fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And so let me ask you a question: what kind of accolades could Peter have pulled and used to describe himself? What are some of the accolades where he could have a badge, you know, you know, like the ladies like Miss Miss Miss, Miss America? You know, what, what could Peter could have had a, a resume. What are some things he could have put on his resume? Apostle. What's that? Apostle. Apostle! Not only apostle, but when you have the 12 apostles, if you look at the way they're listed in the Bible, there's usually three groups of four. He's always listed. The four times it's listed in scripture, he's in the first group and he's the first guy. He could have said that as a fellow elder, but the first guy in the first group, the main apostle, you know. He didn't do that. He said fellow elder. Man, we're all in this together. We each have different strengths, different weaknesses. Aren't you glad that we're not the same? Man, aren't you glad that God speaks the same truth but through different temperaments and personalities? But somebody's got to be in charge. So he said, I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder. and, and, And he goes on to say, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He's starting to allude to some of his mistakes now. Now, when he humbles himself and just says, I'm a fellow elder, what do you think he might be referring to as a mistake? When did he see himself as more than just a fellow elder? Did he ever see himself as that? Did he ever see himself as a really big deal? As really important? How about every time he spoke up and said what everybody else was thinking? <laughs> you ever see Peter do that? <laughs> well, I'll have to do so with what you said. With the exact example you said, Jesus, who is God, they know He's God. He says, Yep, this is what's happening here. No, it's not. <laughs> it's like, you just put yourself higher than God. In all of that, he's, he's learned as an old man that is now full of the Holy Spirit walking with God that the best leader is someone who's a, what? a servant and who's humble. He's kind of put himself down and said, We are all in this position only by the grace of God. It is only by God. I used Peter's like saying, I used to be a jerk. (laughs) And now I'm only sometimes a jerk (laughs) when I'm full of the flesh, but man, when I'm full of the spirit, these are some mistakes. So he says, Man, I'm just a fellow elder. He didn't pull out all his accolades. He wasn't writing a resume trying to impress anybody. What he was trying to do was help some fellow believers. Help them get through some tough times. And let me ask you a question. Why does God allow you to go through tough Mike, Why does God allow you to go through some tough times? To grow your faith, but what's his purpose for others in that? To grow, their faith. to grow their faith. Because you know what? When you've been through it now, you have street cred. You have credibility. You now can help people who are going through their same things. That's kind of where Peter's at. As a fellow elder, to, and look at this, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Gary, we have any hall of shame moments for Peter as he was witnessing the sufferings of Christ? Yeah. How about, what was he doing with James and John? And and which, by the way, that's the first group. James, John, Peter, and Andrew. That's kind of the first group. Always mentioned that in that order. And the only four times that the apostles are all mentioned. They're the first group. They're there. They were kind of the most intimate. What were they all doing when, when Jesus was trying to tell them about the Comforter and the Holy Spirit? And he was, trying to, um, he was trying to tell them, look, I'm going away, but it's going to be better for you to have the Holy Spirit than to, for me to be here physically. Well, he was trying to explain all that. What were they doing? Yeah, they were yeah, all arguing who's going to be number one in the kingdom. He's like, that's not happening yet. You're not listening. But they were so busy arguing and putting themselves, fighting among themselves for a position that wasn't even going to be open for a long time. It's not even open now. So he says, man, is a fellow and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. So he missed it there. Then after the meal, what did Jesus want to go out and do? Karen, what did he want to go out and do? Pray. Pray. All he wanted to do in the meal, he wanted to leave them with information, the truth that was going to bring them comfort, telling them there's going to be another comforter coming. And then after that, they weren't getting it. So Jesus is probably like, let's go pray. I just need to go pray. Garden. Guys, will you come with me? And who do you invite to go with them? Peter, John, James, and Andrew. They they, they got invited. They if Peter and, and and did they go willingly? <laughs> Probably not. They weren't done settling who was going to be first in the kingdom yet. But they went. Oh, he's calling. Let's go. They went out there. But and and, and who did Jesus even tell Peter to pray for? He brought him out there, and who did Jesus even tell Peter to pray for? Anybody? Himself. Because you remember what Jesus told Peter? He said, Satan wants to sift you guys, and especially you, Peter. He wants to sift you, and everybody would have expected for Peter, for Jesus' sake. But I said, no way. But what did Jesus say? He said, I said, it's okay for him to sift you. <laughs> I said, it's okay for Satan to mess with you, because I got plans. I'm going to grow you through this. And so... So he said Peter This is what you need to know This is what you need to do Now that you know Satan is going to sift you And he invited him out to do what? Pray Pray. Because Peter you're going to need it Peter you're I'm not physically going to be here Some things are getting ready to happen And you need to be really close to God And what's a way we can always be close to God? Pray. Pray Yeah He said yeah Satan asked me to sift you And I said okay because it's, it's for my glory and it's for your good. It's going to make you more like me and it's going to equip you to be able to do what I'm going to call you to do later, which is this right here, many years later. And it was after Pentecost, but this was prior. And and so he said, Peter, you need to come out and pray. you got some tough times coming ahead. If you know you are getting ready to face some tough times, based on Jesus' advice, what should you do? Pray. I'm not talking about... Now I lay down to sleep, pray to the Lord my soul to keep, bam, or thank you, Jesus, for our food. I'm not making fun of your prayer because I know you mean it and you have your whole life. I know it. And the meal, before we're ready to eat, is not time to pray for Aunt Bessie's leg and Grandma's dog and all those things. You pray for, I like your focused prayer for the food, all right? But literally, he's talking about pray. Pray. Hours. Pray till it gets right. Pray till your heart is changed. Pray till you're okay with whatever God's gonna do in your life at this point. He said, it's gonna get tough. I allow, I'm gonna allow Satan to sift you. Pray that you will have faith strong enough for all of that. Did Peter do that? No. No. What did he do? He took a nap. <laughs> Peter's like, I'm so confused. And and Wait, this doesn't seem to be working out the way we all thought it was. We gave up lucrative, I know he's God, but it doesn't seem like he's getting ready to kick Roman tail. We're not sure how this all, and when you're confused and you start getting depressed, what do you want to do? Take a nap. Yeah, take a nap. That's what Peter did. They slept. Instead of praying. And so, you think Peter had some, had some, you know, meanings when he said, you know, when he told them, look, look, I'm the guy, I actually witnessed the sufferings of Christ. And anyway, so he fell asleep. Guess what? All of a sudden, what happened next? The soldiers came. The soldiers came, and, and what? Already we talked about it. What did Peter do? As soon as the soldiers came, what did he do? Sword. He whooped out a sword, cut dude's ear off to you, and said, stop, put it back on. And then they took Jesus through three legal trials, and then Tom, through those all or six illegal trials, But as they took him through those trials and Peter and Jesus was getting beaten, what did he do three times? He denied him. He stood up to the soldiers but a little girl, a little servant girl said, aren't you with them? No, not me. And then can you imagine what Peter felt like as the last time as Jesus was walking away from getting beaten, walking to the cross and he just looks over at Peter. Peter's heart was broken. God, I can't believe I did that. But Jesus' look to Peter wasn't like a degrading look. It wasn't like, oh, you really let me down. It wasn't that at all. It was like, Peter, pray. Peter, it's going to get tougher. Peter, Peter, this is just the beginning. Peter, get closer to me. Listen to the advice I gave you. And later, Jesus did restore Peter, as we're going to see. What a beautiful thing when God restores you. Don't ever let your failures cause you to quit. It's never the purpose in God's economy. So in the sufferings of Christ, he denied him. But man, who got to preach the big message at Pentecost? Peter. Peter. Only after he's full of the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and man, he stood for Christ the rest of his life. So he goes on and says, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. So that was your example, John, when he was at the Mount of Transfiguration and there's Jesus in his glory. Because Jesus was always in his glory. He just had like, he was like an M&M. He had like a, how many of y'all know like chocolate's the real value in an M&M? You know, that candy coating is like, that's just junk, man. Or for you, like peanuts. But Jesus had all the glory, but he was covered with a human shell. He never surrendered his glory. He had all that glory, but he was covered with human shell, and he only let God open the curtain at God's discretion when that glory was going to come through, when a miracle needed to happen, when something had to happen for people to see God's glory. And at that time in the Mount of Transfiguration, God just took the candy coating off them and him, if you will. Dude, God, Peter, James, they got to see God's glory, and they're like, oh, and what did Peter say again? Dude. Let's stay here. Let's stay here. Yeah. Let's stay here. I don't care if that's your plan. We need to make a new plan, Jesus. Let's stay here. And so he went on, and uh, so he made mistakes right there. And so what does he tell them to do after he kind of says, "Here's me. I did all this," and you can see, "Oh yeah, I was there. I was there. I was there." Or you can see Peter coming through and saying, "Oh golly, I didn't handle. I know, guys, I didn't handle this right." I didn't handle this right, I didn't handle this right, but I got it right now. And do you remember when Jesus, you remember they were fishing after the resurrection? And do you remember they saw a dude up there and said, hey, you guys know any fish, right? And do you remember what they did when Peter went up on shore, Jesus cooked some fish, they ate some fish. Do you remember the conversation that Jesus had with Peter? He said, Peter, do you love me? Y'all remember that conversation? Peter, do you love me? And, And Peter, what did Peter say? I love you, I know where you're going, Jesus. I didn't act like I love you, <laughs> you know? I didn't act like I love you, but you know I love you. And Jesus said, yeah, do you really? And what did Jesus say to him after he gave him a bogus answer? Feed my sheep. And then Jesus said, hey Peter, do you love me? What, you just asked me this. And again he comes back and he's like, I love you as much as I can love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. <laughs> And then again, Jesus said, do you love me? Do you accompany me more than anything in the world? And Peter's like, I can't handle it. I'm a sinner. I'm wretched. I, I can't do anything in my flesh. I can only do what you give me the ability to do. And then God said, feed my sheep. And that's where we're at. So what's the most important thing that God wants us to do? Whether you're a pastor or you're being matured by a pastor, what's the thing God wants us to do? Feed his sheep. That's what he wants us to do. If we love him, we feed his sheep. The Great Commission. Teach others what I have taught you. So constantly we are learning what God wants us to learn in every situation he puts us in. Not just so we can say, well, look at me. Or I'm a success. It's so that you can help the other people that you encounter. Feed his sheep. I think that's what he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, To And we'd say it a little bit different around here. How do we say it? It's helping what? That's feeding sheep. You're seeing life from God's perspective, not just so you can have a good life. It's not about you. You're set for life. You're doing it so you can help others get there too. Because God's putting them in your path. So look what he says. After Peter kind of goes through almost like a hall of shame in that first verse, which you may not have seen, but that's really what everybody's thinking when they think of Peter, that back in his mistakes, shepherd the flock of God, where is this? Among you. Hey, you guys live on the North Island. Where's the flock among you? North Island. Island. Yeah. You know, where do you live? Hey, you're at the boat club. Where's the flock around you? The boat club. Yeah. Wherever you're at, that's what he's talking. He said, man, shepherd the people that are around you. Feed them some soul food. Help them see life from God's perspective because you're seeing it that way. And he's talking to the, to the church leaders here. He's talking about exercise oversight. That's that overseer uh, part. But look what he says. This is more important. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly. How many of y'all have ever been put in an opportunity to help somebody spiritually, but you really didn't want to because you were busy? It didn't fit your schedule. It it, it wasn't time. Like, oh, this is not a good time. I really didn't want to meet you in the parking lot of the grocery store because I have a whole list of other things to do. Man, I can remember driving in Orlando one time. I can remember driving. No, it wasn't even. Yeah, it was Orlando. I'm driving. I'm driving to church, and I have a busy schedule. And there was a guy on the side of the road just standing there. And as I drove by him, God said, pick him up. And I'm like, God, I'm too busy to pick him up. I'm going to church. <laughs> and I kept going, and God said, pick him up. Well, I've already passed him. He said, yeah, you're getting further away. And I keep driving, he says, go pick him up. I get to the parking lot of the church, and God would not let me uh, let me go. He would not let me go, and he said, go pick him up. And I turned around, and I was gonna be late and be in trouble with my church bosses, because I was late, but he's my church boss, right? And I turned around, and I went back, and the whole time, like, all right, God, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. All I was going, and guess what? When I got there, the dude was gone. But I'll never forget telling God, I'm too busy to serve you because I'm doing church. (laughs) I'm going to church. I'm too busy to serve you because I'm professionally serving you or whatever. And he's never let me forget that. You know what? Bill Cooper, if God brings somebody in your path. What are you supposed to do, bro? Minister to. Yeah, love them. Help them see life for God. Is that everybody? Just love. Him. Yeah. <laughs> and whoever it is, whenever it is, it's God that did it. Every situation is a divine opportunity, it's a, it's a divine encounter. One day you're going to stand before God and He's going to say, What would you do with that guy that I brought there that asked you this question? And you know, I, I made him lost. That's why he was asking for directions. But you had an opportunity to give him directions. Heaven. And again, it's not, if they don't go to heaven, it's not because you didn't do that. If God wants them to go to heaven, he'll just give somebody else the blessing to do that. But you missed the opportunity. Why does God bring people into your life? Why are they there? Why did that person show up? Why is that person by you? Why is this happening? And you've got to see it from God's perspective. So he says, don't do this under compulsion. Oh, I have to do this. Oh, I have to go do this spiritual thing now. I have to do my daily devotion, or God's going to curse me. You know, and I have to go do. I have to go to the spiritual meeting. I have to do. No, he said, don't do this under compulsion, but do it what? Willingly, willingly, Willing. as God would have you. <laughs> you understand why God has given you that encounter, dude? John, I see you at Dr. Bunk's parking lot sometime in the morning, man. And you know what? He can wait. No, I'm just joking. But No, I see you in there, and it's like, oh, good, there's John. And it just gets me thinking about. I talk to you, and we pr- I pray, like, all for you all day in that. But every encounter is a divine encounter. And, and, and it's, it's, if you realize it's a gift from God, then it's not a job. If, if you realize it's a gift from God, then it's like, Man, I can't wait to open this present. How many of y'all had an encounter with somebody and it became something way greater than what you ever expected? Yeah. Man, that's joy bucket stuff right there. But too busy, we've already scheduled our life out where we can't (coughs) enjoy that kind of thing. So he says, as God would have. Look at this last part. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So there were people that were doing church for money. (laughs) You know? If nothing else majority of the community was were slaves. And so, you know what? Maybe there were guys being pastors because just because that was a financially lucrative thing for them to do in that culture. I know other cultures where it's financially lucrative to go be a pastor, to go be part of the church. And man, could you imagine facing God one day and he's giving you the privilege of ministry and you're doing it because of money? What did God even say about money? He said, "It's going to develop wings like eagles and do what?" You know. He even talks about guys. The government is not always going to be the same. We read that in Proverbs a couple weeks ago. Situate. You know, you have all this money. Money can be gone as quicker than it comes. The last thing in the world you should sell your soul for is money, especially if you have a high calling to represent Him and be His ambassador, and even more so if you have been called to be a leader in. And you know, the way we look at it here, we don't really have a hierarchy. You know, Matt teaches a class. You're a leader, bro. But you're equipping people. They're leaders. I'm putting you all in charge. <laughs> Whether you want to be or not, you're all leaders to go out and help others see life from God's perspective. So there it is. And you're not doing it for gain. It might not even be money. I wonder how many people are doing it for pride. Doing it because it's an important position. I know in Haiti, I see that, Emily. Because in Haiti, if you're a pastor, dude, you can say, employers come to you and say, hey, should I hire this person? There's a lot that they come to pastors wanting to know the truth about people, and pastors have a lot of power there. But what does power sometimes do to people? Corrupts. Yeah. And that, that's so beautiful how Peter started this little section and said, I'm just another elder, guys. I'm not the grand poobah, man. I'm just like you, only different. So he says, man, don't be doing this for shameful gain, but do it eagerly because God's giving you an opportunity. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples like, hey, does anybody remember any times where Peter might have kind of been domineering? <laughs> was there ever a time where Peter might have seemed a little domineering? Yeah, that was his middle name. Simon domineering Peter. That was his name. And so, and he's doing it, he's, he's telling them everything he's telling them to do. He's saying, learn from my mistakes. He said, live well so you can lead well. And then he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. And in fact, everyone who follows him will receive a crown of glory. I don't know what that crown looks like. We don't really understand. But I guess if it's a real crown, dude. When you get to heaven and you realize you're only there because of what he did, what do you want to do with your crown? Put it at his feet. Put it at his feet. And it's like, oh my goodness. Man, this is the least I, I, I know I can't pay it back, but this is my act of worship. You understand your life from the time you're born again to the time he brings you home is an act of worship. Now, whether it's totally represented by that crown or not, but this is the act of worship that you present to him as gratefulness. Dude, you're not going to be sorry for anything you did in that. He's saying, man, don't worry about prestige, don't worry about power, don't worry about money, don't worry about all these things now. He said, just serve him. Live a good life and, and lead. Live good and lead good. Here's what he says also. Stay hungry and stay humble. How many of y'all remember when you first came to Christ? When you first came to Christ, you first started coming to church, and started growing. Remember, how many of y'all remember asking questions? Lots of questions. You put yourself under something, and you asked a lot of questions. In Bible study, you asked a lot of questions. In fact, you were so hungry, you were reading and listening and and, and researching and all these things. How many of y'all remember when that was the case? You were hungry. But what happened as you started getting to know a lot of things? As you started learning a lot of things, how many of y'all ever felt like maybe you kind of knew as much as your teachers? Maybe now you knew more than your teachers. Maybe you knew more than anybody. all. Anybody ever get that position? When you lose your hunger, you lose being humble. I see it all the time because I see people, we, we attract people who come to Christ for the first time and they want to grow. They're like, man, I want what you have. And dude, they're coming and they're, they're gaining insight from everyone in Bible study. And all of a sudden, what happens sometimes, have you ever heard the word where people get too big for their britches? What does that mean, Terry? Somebody gets too big for their bridges. <clears throat> They're in a way over their head. They think they know more than they do. Yeah. And you know what? When you think you know it all, you know who your only teacher can be now? Experience. I can't tell you. I've been in this a long time. I've had an opportunity to disciple a lot of people, including leaders, including pastors. And, yeah, you got to push them out of the nest sometimes. But, man, I can't tell you. When you lose your hunger, you lose your ability to stay humble. When you come and you don't know anything, when you come and you're hungry, what do you eat? Everything. But now all of a sudden you're full and you're full of yourself. You don't got any room for anything to eat. You already got it. And you get spiritually lazy. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen that happen, including myself. We've got to stay hungry and stay humble. Look what he says. Likewise, you who are younger. All right? This is the the elders mature. So the less mature would be. The younger. How many of us are less mature than somebody else spiritually and we can identify? Yeah, that's us. Every one of us. We are all younger here so we can apply this. You are not the grand poobah. I'm not the grand poobah. You know none of us are the grand pooba. Your boy John McCarthy ain't the grand poobah, and that's what I like so much about him in that. But nobody, he, he's the grand poobah. We always are under somebody else. We always need a Paul and we always need a Timothy. So he says, likewise, you guys who are younger, who are in... in you know, you know somebody spiritually more mature than you that can challenge you, that can keep you going, be subject to them. Be subject. Put That means be submit to them. Don't. They're, they're teaching you spiritual things. Follow what they're teaching you. But when you get too big for to your britches, it's like, yeah, well, I'm going to pick and choose what I got from that. There was a day where you didn't pick and choose because you were hungry and you didn't know Jack. You didn't know anything. And then all of a sudden, now you know everything. What's the best way to find out you don't know everything? Give it a shot and try to do it. And you realize you don't know everything. <clears throat> yeah. And that's what kind of happens. Always, at least whatever God brings in your life, at least bring it to God and let him work that out in you. Maybe it's not going to be exactly how that person taught it or whatever, but God brought that in your life for a reason. And we're supposed to submit to each other. Because even if you might be more spiritually immature than somebody who's more mature, can you learn something from somebody spiritually immature? Dean, can you learn from somebody who's not as mature? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We learn from each other. So look what he says. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to those who are elder. You hear stuff from guys and girls who are more spiritually mature, take heart to it. And chances are, that it's spiritual, it ain't going to sit well with your flesh. And that's why we reject it a lot of times. It's not, it's, sitting, it's not that it's not sitting well with our spirit. It's not sitting well with my flesh. And now that I know everything that there is to know about Christ, now I make decisions and draw lines of what I want to do and what I don't want to do. Man, you've got to have a Solomon heart. You've got to be a little kid with a big job. You've got to be humble. You've got to just say, man, God, teach me something and everything. See life from his perspective so you can help others do that. So look what he goes on to say. He says, clothe yourself. Who? All of you. Both the elders and the younger. Whoever you are, clothe yourself. Put something on that you don't have on. All of you. With what? Humility towards one another. So you know what he says, man? Realize every encounter is a divine encounter, and you aren't too big for your bridges, and you are, you're in big trouble. We can always learn something from somebody, even if we can learn from their mistakes. But give God the opportunity to show us that. Clothe yourself. Man, look what he says. God opposes the proud. James said this, and it's a loose translation of, I want to say, Proverbs 330-something, 3, 320. It's in Proverbs 3 that you can see that both James and Peter quoted it. God opposes. What does oppose mean? Hey, Bob. Someone wants to take one of the boats at the boat club and you oppose it, man. <laughs> You're not taking it, right? You're stopping them from doing it. So God poses the proud. You know what the proud want, Bob? The proud want to do what they want to do. So if you want to do what you want to do as opposed to what God wants to do, who do you have fighting against you? God. Yeah, life's hard enough. You don't need God fighting against you also. God opposes the proud. But look what it says. He gives grace to the humble. Anybody know what grace is? Something you don't uh, according to Philippians 2.10, to13, somewhere in there, it's the desire and ability to do what God wants you to do. So you have a choice of doing it your way and fighting God and everything else you've got to fight, or do it God's way and he helps you. Which way seems better? duh, I'm just saying, when you look at it this way, that's why both Peter and James said it. Who wants to do it your way and fight God and everything else? How many of y'all are on this side? All right, how many of y'all are on this side? (laughs) And right now you're like, oh, Holy Spirit, please stop, because I I can't stop, this is where I live. He says, no, man, live over here, figure out what he wants you to do, and let him just usher it in. It may not be your timing, may not be the one you choose, but dude, would you rather do what God wants and have him help you, or do what you want and have a fight the whole time? And that's a good way to indicate how mature you are, spiritually, if you live over here more than here, or over here more than here. He's like, dude, I've been there. Hey, did Peter ever live over here where he did what he wanted to do and had to fight God? Yeah! Yeah! It, it, but he's saying, as an older man, as an older man that's that that is trying to help you learn from my mistakes, he said, live over here. Please, just live here. God opposed the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he says, humble yourselves. Therefore, because God fights against the proud. He says, it only makes sense. Humble yourselves. Under the what kind of hand of God? Yeah, humble yourselves under the wimpy hand of God and do it all yourself. Is that what he says? No, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Mighty means everything you need is there. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time. Ooh, Colleen, the proper time. Is that always our time? In fact, a lot of times it's not our time, is it? And I'm not just picking on you. I just know that you're honest and all that. A lot of these folks, man, they got put on facades and they just give you the right answer. But um, not you guys, other churches. But literally, he says that at his time, he chooses the proper time. That's what we don't want to wait for. I want to do it tomorrow. I want to do it here. I want to do it now. I want. And, And we're fighting God and everyone else. Who wins when you fight God? Yeah, God does. You don't, and nobody who's in it with you. And you bring other people. Come on, help me fight God. Help me. I mean, literally, isn't that what we do when we've got our minds set on something and it's not what God wants and we have other people helping us? Help me fight God. How many of you ever helped somebody fight God before? (laughs) That's a bad thing to admit to, but we do it, don't we? What if we ask, help me. Is this what God wants you to do? Maybe we should ask that first before we get involved with the fight. Because I don't want to fight God, but man, if God says you hang out over here and at the proper time. He's going to exalt you, and what that means is He's going to do something so supernatural in your life that only He can get blamed, and it's not you. Because people are like, "Dude, John, how did how did you do that, John? You're the the slowest, mild mannered guy. You just you jumped over the building. How did you do?" you're like, well, who's God? And we're like, yeah. And that's what it means when it says he'll exalt you. He, you get to be a part of something supernatural if you wait. Next thing Peter says is don't carry God's load. I want you guys to hear this today. And we, we may even, we may actually end here. There's a good chance. Just, I, 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 I'm not because I'm worried about time, but I'm really, I, I'm, man, this is the point that, when I was preaching this, I was wondering how I could skip all these other points to get to this one right here. Because I just truly believe there's somebody, and it might just be me, that needs this point of this one right here. So, yeah, yeah. so that, that, that might even be the way. To, the reason we end is so this is the last one you remember. But don't count on it, because I can't. I, the Holy Spirit's in charge of all of that. And, you know, that's not my game. I got to one day answer to Him with what I did. On what's the date today? <laughs> February 7th, 2021, with the message he gave me. I got to answer to him. So, uh, and so do you, but look at this, man. Don't carry God's load. One simple little verse. Peter's saying, cast all your anxieties on him. And hey, let me ask you a question. If he's telling us to cast, hey, uh, Bar Cooper, if he's telling us to cast our anxieties on him, what is it pretty guaranteed that we're going to have in life? Anxieties, yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't be telling us cast them on him if he's not going to allow us to have any. So I mean, some people want an anxiety-free life. How many? I mean, isn't that true most of the time when anxiety comes in our life? What's the first thing we pray for? Take the anxiety away. <laughs> we we get anxiety. I don't want anxiety. I want to. You know. We even take pills to get rid of anxiety, don't we? Lots of pills. You're a nurse. Isn't that what most of the pills are? You know, like Terry was a rescue swimmer, their anxiety pill is punching somebody out, right? Okay? <laughs> As a nurse, you'd like to, you know... Well, you can't do something, yeah. yeah, it's like, I don't care if it's got to a suppository, IV, in the mouth, whatever, dude. We're getting it. We're knocking them out, buddy, till they can come to their senses and we can deal with them, right? But look what God says to do with our anxieties. Take, cast all your Anxieties on him because he cares for you. And when Peter's writing this, in, a, in, in every other religion that you can imagine, there's not a God that cares for you. There's not a God that that's who he is. That's what his job is, is to care for you. When he says cast all your anxieties on him, that word cast, Carol, you were in the banking industry, right? Yes. You know about deposits? Sort of. Yeah, about deposits. And when somebody made a deposit, and they went in and they brought you know, a kid breaks open their piggy bank and has $20 in pennies, and they deposit it into their account. What happens to those pennies after they deposit them? Now, I don't need the whole technical answer, but There's, where do those they're, pennies... They're put in safekeeping. They're put in safekeeping where? A vault. At the yes. bank. Yes. Yeah, the kid doesn't take his piggy bank and say, oh, I'm depositing these $20 in pennies. And they put them in a sheet. $20 or oh, you know and, and then the kid said they say yeah you got $20 and the kid takes his broken piggy bank and all his pennies back with him and walks we'll away. Is that a deposit? No. 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 But isn't that what we do so often with our anxieties? Isn't that what we do with prayer? What we do sometimes with prayer is is we come to God and we've got all this anxiety. Somebody described it once, one of the old reformers or one of the old, like, guys who were around during some of the real great awakenings they described it as a sack of potatoes. Anybody ever carry a sack of potatoes? Okay, you got a 20-pound sack of potatoes you're carrying around. And if you carry around, John, how would it be for you to carry a 20-pound sack of potatoes right now? Not a good thing. And man, when I was up in the panhandle, Oh my goodness! God confirmed to me why people don't retire and move up north. It was it was cold here, but it was even colder up there. Oh my goodness! My body, my shoulder—literally, I, I could have amputated and it would have felt better. I mean, it was like there was nothing. And then my sister's got arthritis all over her body. I said, "You need to sell that house and move to the Keys. It's the same distance to Orlando. Go south. Go where it's worth." As soon as I got home and the sunshine starts beating on my arm. It's like, what injury? It doesn't hurt, you're right. Look, man, it's all good. It hurt, man. C- carrying that sack of potatoes around, though? Carrying that sack of potatoes, man, you're carrying it around. What's the problem with carrying a? Tw- hey, Morgan, what's the problem with carrying around a 20-pound bag of sack of potatoes? What's that? Hurt you hurt your back? Um, You got your surfboard, right? Yeah. Can you imagine carrying that sack of potatoes on your surfboard? Can you imagine, like, trying to catch a wave with a 20-pound sack of potatoes in one arm? <laughs> you know? Can you imagine trying to stand up and balance? with? And, and, and can you imagine, like, I saw you guys so long, can you imagine, like, cross-stepping to the nose and what that would look like with your 20-pound sack of potatoes? <laughs> would the 20-pound sack of potatoes get in the way? Yeah. So will anxiety get in our way? Absolutely. How many of you know anxiety gets in the way? But how many of you don't deposit What you do is you come to God in prayer, and you throw down the sack of potatoes, and you pull out one potato, and that's maybe got a name of somebody on it. (laughs) You pull another potato, and it's got a, a situation on it. You pull out another, and you give them all to God. How many of you have ever gone to prayer and given all your anxiety to God at some point in time? How many of you have done that? If you haven't, you should do it. It works way better than the drugs this lady's pumping you with. I don't blame you, man. You're a little girl, and some of them patients are big. You probably got a suppository gun <laughs> as they're running, man. <laughs> Whichever side you want to give me, man, I'll pop you in. But yeah, give your anxiety to God. Man, and so boom, you're throwing them out and naming them one by one. There's Ryan, and there's Adam, and a little. Be- oh, I'm sorry. No, not just that. Sorry. They didn't ask to be brought into this world. You brought them in, and they got your genes, man. I'm just messing with you We're all parents. Yeah. You put them, you throw your sack of potatoes out and you give it out to God. Doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel good when it's out there and you've told God? That's what the word supplication means. Tell God what you'd like to see. Lay it all out there. Because how many of you have ever called your best friend and they listen to your problems and they're okay, but then you call them a couple hours later and then you call them a couple hours later? A couple, how many of y'all have friends that don't answer the phone anymore? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Because even people who love you don't want to hear it over and over again. But who wants to hear it anytime time you've got to say it? And that's what we have in prayer. Man, you take your sack of potatoes and you just start opening it up. Well, God, if this didn't happen, this wouldn't be this way. God, if this didn't happen, this isn't what I planned. This isn't what I dreamed about. This isn't where it was going. All the things that bring you anxiety. Don't flower your prayer up. You ain't got to speak in King James English to God. He understands your, your, your ebonic English that you have or whatever you've got. Man, just throw it out to him. Talk to him like your friend. Put it all out there. But once you put it all out there, what do you need to do next? Leave it. Leave it. Leave it. That's the point. Cast all your cares. Deposit all your anxieties on him dump that whole sack out there and say, God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do with this situation, but it's yours. Man, Ashley, every week we're amazed. We don't plan all this stuff. It's amazed how that last song went with this verse right here. We, It's his battle, not ours. Man, it's his. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to fight. But we're not on our own. We don't get our battle plan from us. We don't get our weapons from us. We don't get anything from us except... We don't even get our strength from us. We cast it down on him and say, here's this situation, God, it's yours. And he says, yeah, okay, so I want you to do this. Hey, what's the hardest thing to do with something that needs attention? It begins with N and has an O and a thing at the end. Nothing. How many of y'all can't handle that when you throw it out there and God says, oh, do nothing? No, I can't do nothing. Something needs to be done. God said, okay. You want to do it? I'll fight you, and you have this situation to fight with. Otherwise, you can do it my way and just wait, and I'm setting it up for the perfect time. In the perfect way. You're not ready for it to answer a few. Now, that's not the answer all the time. Sometimes God says, oh, with this situation, I need you to go and talk to that person. And I need you to ask them for forgiveness. What? No! You don't know what they did! I can't do! Or something he asks us to do. Sometimes when we cast that care, he gives us instructions of what to do. But it's not our fight anymore. Because again, Morgan, if I take, I laid them all out, I feel so good. Man, now you're, you're styling on the nose. Ooh, no sack of potatoes, you know? But all of a sudden, you get done telling him everything, and you put all the potatoes back in the bag. And then John, you take that sack of potatoes and you put them on your ailing body, on your ailing shoulder, and it's causing you more injury. It's hurting you from healing. It's making you less agile, making you less mobile. It's hurting you, it's slowing you down. It's putting you out of balance. How many of y'all can see that from your anxieties, that they'll do that? That is what anxiety does. He gives us the cure, man. And in fact, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 5, 6, and 7, read that. He says, cast up. In that one, he says, be anxious for nothing. Have anxiety for what? No. Nothing. Nothing. You're, no, if you have this situation with this, I have the right to be have anxiety. According to the word of God, you have any right to anxiety over any situation? None. He says, have anxiety over nothing but in everything by prayer. Soon as you realize you have anxiety, turn your conversation with yourself. You know, isn't that what your head's like? Got a little thought going on in your head? Little pee, little pee in there, turns into a marble. Anybody identifying with me so far? Anxiety, and you know, here you are. Nikki, here you are. And you're like, oh, what's wrong, Nikki? Nothing, I'm okay. And and they're like, yeah, something's wrong, Nikki. Something's uh, something's bugging you, you know? No, I'm good, I'm good. And then that turns into a a golf ball, and then into a baseball, into a bowling ball. And here you are, Nikki. I'm not just picking on you. You're like this, and everybody's like, Nikki, what happened to you? Nothing, I'm good. How many of y'all seen somebody with anxiety? And they think they're good. Because that's what the world tells us. We gotta just be good. As soon as you're having that playing catch with yourself, that's what you're doing, you're playing catch with yourself. It's one thing, throw the ball up and catch it. That's kind of fun, isn't it? But how many of you like to play catch with somebody else? Isn't that fun? Yeah. And that's what God gives us the ability to do with our anxiety, it's like a ball. Instead of playing catch with yourself, start playing catch with him. Throw it to him. And he says, while you're doing that, he says, have anxiety over nothing, but pray about everything. And then between worry prayer, and prayers, who? Who you're talking to. What, who you're talking to. That's all it. that turns it into prayer is talking to God. That exact situation that's bringing anxiety. <laughs> so often people think they got to it up. Change it. Their thoughts are wrong. Their, their heart's wrong. They hate. They, they, everything's wrong. I can't let God know that. How many of y'all ever had that ridiculous thought? I can't let God know that. But let me ask you a question. What does God know? Everything. <laughs> yeah. You ain't fooling God. And you ain't fooling your friends. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's the way we look. Bring it to God every single time because he will answer the phone, unlike your friends who are tired of hearing about it. Now, I'm not saying they all are, but I'm just saying, man, talk to God. He wants to hear from it. He's like, oh my goodness, Ann, you've been neglecting me. I allowed a little anxiety, hoping you'd come talk to me. (laughs) I think that happens sometimes. He'll do whatever it takes to have fellowship with you because he loves hanging out with you. So he's never like, oh gosh, it's Anne again. It's like, Anne, yes, come. Let's hang out with us, and, and I got an hour, Anne. That's it. Is that God says? I got an hour, that's it, Anne. You know, you better start talking now and get it all together. No. How long can you go on with God? Forever. Forever. Unless your schedule gets in the way. <laughs> You're not in the way of his schedule. He wants to talk to you and hang out with you. That was the whole purpose of Adam and Eve in the garden. So it says cast all or in, in Philippians, worry about nothing, pray about everything. With supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to him. That word supplication is telling him what you'd like to see. How many of y'all have situations, you've had situations where you didn't even know what you wanted to see happen? It was confusing, you want to see this happen, this happen, this happen, this happen, and in your mind it's like a, like a, a my wife got this ninja blender, man. And, dude, that thing, man, takes everything and scrambles it way better than the ocean or And then that's our head sometimes. We don't even know what we'd like to see. So, how do you figure out how to pray? How do you figure out what you want to see? You spend the time with God. Say, God, I'd like to see this. No, wait, God, I'd like to see this. It's like, God, well, wait a minute. You said this, you said this, like, perfect. He's like, yeah, I know. And I'd like to see this, and I'd like to see this, and I'd like to see this. And God's like, He's not confused. God's saying, now you're getting it. As you start talking to God. And maybe, you know what God does with what you want to see here, 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 here? You ever think what God's doing through talking to him is he's bringing it together. Have you ever had him bring it together? Where all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, there it is. Yes, that's it. But he doesn't do that in our time frame always. So he says, with supplication. And the next thing is thanksgiving. Make your requests be known to him. Thanksgiving is not like, oh good, I'm glad for the sunny day, I'm glad for two nostrils I can breathe out, when that's not what your anxiety is about. What, you're, what you ask him for gratefulness for is your very situation bringing anxiety. So one, he says when you have anxiety, quit trying to figure it out yourself, quit even getting with all your buddies and having a little pity party and trying to figure it out amongst you guys. If you ever in a group where people are doing that, just say, let us pray. <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna see you guys do that. Let us pray, and then everybody starts praying. Cause wait, wait, no, I was belly aching, and I can't do that to God. He's like, yeah, you can. Go ahead, it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, just bring it to God while you're talking and say, God, I'd like to see this. I'd like to see this. God, I don't even know what I want to see. Show, him. give me some targets, name it. But you're having a conversation. What if you want to see stupid stuff? What if you want to see dumb stuff that is horrible? Who better to talk to you out of doing something wrong than God? You know? the well, you think I can see God if I rob a bank? and I do it? And God's like, yeah, I think we got another way to do this. Talk to him. Tell him what you'd like to see. And then with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto him. God, why should I be grateful for this situation that I frankly think stinks? This situation that I can't see anything. Why should I be grateful? He's not asking for you to come up with reasons to be grateful. He wants you to ask him. And you can ask him many times, why should I be grateful this happened? Why should I be grateful for this? Why? Why? And God loves that. And when you're grateful, everything's what? Great. great. When you're grateful, everything is? Great. great. So continue to say, God, why should I be grateful for this? And let him tell you, and it's great. And he says, then the peace of God doesn't mean your situation changes, it means you're inside you have changed. The peace of God which passes all understanding, including your own. Why am I not freaking out? Why am I not upset? Why am I not angry? Why am I not retaliating? Why am I not? You know why? Because you have a peace from God that He's in control, and in due time it's all gonna work out. It's all part of this is where He's got you, this is where He wants you. And He might have just put all this in your life just to have some intimate fellowship with you. I don't no. So pray. Would you talk to him? Ask him what you'd like to see happen. Ask him why you should be grateful for that. And he says, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, including yours, will guard. It will protect. It will preserve your heart and soul. Your heart, where you set your heart and make decisions, and your soul is, is you. It's your, your heart and soul, your emotions, your thoughts, your desires will all be protected. Through Christ Jesus is what he says. Tell you this illustration real super quick and we are done. Just because God said to be done, not because the clock said. But listen, I think it's where we need to end today. And I really, this is all I really, where I really wanted to go. But God gave me that other stuff. So if y'all got something out of that other stuff, awesome. And there's more stuff next week. But this is where we were really supposed to be today. Some of y'all know this illustration because I've been sharing it since my first pastorate. Ashley was six months old. So back in, Ashley, what year were we born? 93, 92, something like that. We're out in Webster, our west of Orlando out in the country. And I'm a city boy, well, from west Orange County, but uh, that, and, and we go out to the country, out to Webster, Florida. And so now visiting people, all I did was go in my little red truck and I went and visited people every day. That was kind of one of the things I did. There were shut-ins. There were different folks. And they just wanted you to stay forever and eat tons of food, which was awesome. But <laughs> you had to try to get some exercise. But anyways, I remember going, every Thursday, I'd go to Mabel Kendrick's house. She was a shut-in. And, and that was what we called them. I don't even know if that's politically correct anymore. That's probably insensitive. But they, she said, I'm a shut-in. You got to come see me on Thursday. I'm like, yes, ma'am. And she had a son who was mentally challenged, Donald, who was about 51 years old at the time, and everybody kept saying to Mabel, who's like in her 80s, Mabel, you gotta put him in a home. Mabel, you gotta put him in a home. And they're like, no, this is my calling. you like, this is what I do. I would not put Donald anywhere. And I'm not saying you do, you don't, but for her, that was not an option. So I go visit. And the farmers would keep her busy by giving her fruit and stuff that they grew or stuff they brought from Georgia or wherever they brought it from to sell it at the market. And so I get over there one Thursday and how many of y'all have ever seen real Georgia peaches? I, I don't know what they are like now, because Florida do not really have the tomatoes like we used to and all that, but Georgia peach, you know what I'm talking about? Dude, the ones where you look at them and they start dripping down your arm. And bite it them, forget about it, dude. I mean, these were beautiful. You could smell, as soon as I walked in her house. Oh, you brought something from South Carolina, didn't you? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, y'all want peaches at No, I'm just joking. But literally, I walked in her house, and was like, ooh, <laughs> This wasn't that fake Yankee Candle smell peach, man. This was the real deal. It was like, oh, my goodness. And as far as I could look, there were these baskets of peaches on every counter, every, on her couches. They were everywhere. And she had even moved some for me to sit down. And I was like, Mabel, these are awesome peaches. She said, you want to take some home? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And I remember talking with her, praying with her, and said, now, here you go. Here's peaches. And I'm carrying an armload of peaches out to my little Toyota pickup truck with a bench seat in it. I open it up, and I throw them on the side. I had more business to do, and I'm eating those peaches, man. I'm a mess, dude. I got dripping down on there, but I didn't care because it was so good. And I get some peaches home, give them to my family, and I'm, I'm there. And I was thinking about how good those peaches were. Well, the next Wednesday, we had a deacon's meeting. It was one of those churches with an ownership problem where the deacons were like, why well, you can't preach? And some of y'all were saying the same thing too. still, 30 years later. But they're like, you can't preach, you can't, you know, all this stuff. And I'm just like, you know, my and I start laughing. I start laughing at them. And they're like, well, why are you laughing? And I said, well, because five years ago, I would have probably taken this axe handle, and I would have beaten a crud at all five of you y'all. Know. <laughs> and I said, Jesus changed me, and I have no desire for that. And, I, and they're like, well, and they said, this means adjourn and they got out. It was in my front yard. That's how they do it. The parsonage is, is you know, your office is in the parsonage where you live, so they can make it, you know, totally not heaven-like. But anyways, it, it, was, it was the beginning of the end there, obviously, after that statement. But I couldn't stop. I just had to laugh. Why are you laughing? I wasn't going to lie to them. I'm like, dude, five years ago, I would have beat the crud out of all y'all because of the way you're talking to me. Now I don't care. I love you guys. Bring it on, Whatever. And the next day, I'm going to see, I've been studying that passage out of Philippians. And I go in my little red truck, and I get to Mabel Kendrick's house, and guess what? What was the only thing that was really on my mind? Was it really Mabel and Donald? Peaches. What was that? You know me well enough. What was I really thinking about the peaches, dude? I love them, but, dude, the peaches in my belly. They <laughs> needed to get there again. And I, I pull to her driveway in this country, and um, uh, I get out of my truck, and I know now it was the Holy Spirit caused me to look under the seat of my truck, and there was one of those peaches that had been rolling around for a week. Anybody here have a truck? What's on the underside of your truck seat? Do you even want to know? (laughs) How many of y'all would just lick whatever's on the underside of your truck seat right now? No, and Terry keeps this pretty clean. You wouldn't even look up. Dude, I'm just saying, I, I look under there, and there's a shriveled, nasty, juicy, green, orange, moldy. It was everything you could imagine after rolling around country roads underneath the seat of my truck. Air, wind, kids' candy, whatever, whatever was there. It was probably adult candy. But anyways, (laughs) because you were too young. (laughs) You were still in the car seat. I can't blame it on you yet. But man, it was the nastiest thing I could imagine. I remember going, oh, thank you, Jesus. And I threw it out in your yard. Cause that's what you did in the country someone yeah. someone's gonna eat it <laughs> and so uh, it wouldn't be like your subdivision now but anyway so I threw it out there and I'm going oh thank you and I wipe my hands off and I go in I'm thinking now more about peaches because boy that even though that's got me going I said Mabel I walk in her house and all of a sudden it didn't smell like peaches I look I didn't see peaches anywhere I'm like Mabel you were overrun with peaches I, it must have been odd. She goes, hey, Pastor. And I'm like, Mabel, where are your peaches? <laughs> I mean, hi, Mabel, where are your peaches? <laughs> and and she's like, I said, did you get rid of them? She says, oh, no, Pastor. And I said, well, where are your peaches? She said, look at them cabinets. Now, she had cabinets from the floor to the ceiling, okay. totally encompassing this giant kitchen. I start opening the doors, and guess what I saw? What did I see? Yeah. <laughs> Peaches, but they were canned. They were preserved in ball jars or mason jars. I don't know. There were fights over which one were better, but there were ball jars, the, the jars full of it. And we visited, and I kept hoping she'd give me some. And she's like, Pastor, you want some more peaches? I'm like, oh, yes, ma'am. And she gave me some cans of, of some canned peaches. And I remember putting those on my seat. I remember starting my little truck up and looking out and seeing that rotten, nasty, shriveled peach. And I remember looking over there saying, golly, I'm glad I got good ones. And God says, let me ask you a question, which one are you? I was like, what? He said, how many times have you started out the day planning on being a nice, sweet, juicy peach that's appealing to everybody, but you get that phone call, you get that encounter, you get that situation, all of a sudden you're that one. I was like, whoa. I mean, he said, I'll let you get rolled around under to see the truck, right? He said, what if one of these cans of peaches, these jars rolled around, didn't break, but it rolled around, what would it be like next week? I said, it'd be sweet and juicy. He said, that's what the Greek word preserve means, that Greek word protect. It means that through that process of prayer, of turning anxiety into a conversation with him, telling him what you'd like to see happen and asking him why to be thankful, he preserves you like those peaches. And i got to just wonder how many days you wake up trying to be that sweet, juicy peach and you end up like that one that's been abused out there. Which one does the world want to take a bite out of? And that's our purpose, is to be that sweet, juicy peach. But it all comes through prayer. So, man, I want to encourage you to pray. Cast all your cares. Give it to him and say, I don't, I'm not doing anything about this battle until you tell me what to do. I'm not taking it in my own hands, and if you just tell me to wait and chill, I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna chill. But God, if You want me to do something even hard, like go and apologize, go ask for forgiveness, go straighten that, like You ask me to do, I'll do that. Whatever You want me to do, but I am not. You're my general, and I'm not making a move on this battlefield till You tell me what to do. So I'm gonna stay in contact with You. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna tell You what I'd like to see happen. I'm gonna ask You why to be grateful, and I'm gonna count on that peace that passes all understanding, guarding. Preserving my heart like a sweet juicy peach, and he says you can do this because he cares for you. The Greek construct in this means it's his job to care for you. That's what he does. How good are you at doing God's job, Boston? You ain't good at doing God's job. No, no. If you ain't, if you're doing God's job, you're doing a crappy job at it, right? absolutely. Okay. And and, and 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 so let me ask you a question: If you're busy trying to do his, whose job aren't you doing? No. You're. Let's let God do his job, and let's do ours. But that comes from that communication. Peter says, learn from my mistakes. I didn't always act this way. But guys, things are getting tough, and I want you to act this way. Let's pray. Father, I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus. And you don't know how grateful I am to come to you in that name. And everything it stands for, knowing that because I have the sacrifice that Jesus performed on the cross covering me, I'm like a garbage can full of garbage, but I got a lid on me. Instead of you seeing all that garbage and being repulsed by the smell and the garbage that I I get taken out and I put back in, instead that cover is covering it all up and that cover is the blood of Jesus, your favorite thing. You, Father, have made it possible for me to be able to come into your presence because of what Jesus did. And I am so grateful for that. Man, when I bow my head and I, look up. I know now it's not a figment of my imagination. I'm talking to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lord, the one who's in control of everything, everything, and know that you love me, and you have given me a home in heaven, and you've got a job for me to do every moment of the day here. So Father, I pray that we would turn our anxieties into prayer. I pray we would stay in such close contact with you, that we're not afraid, that we don't act out on our own, but instead we just live in peace knowing that you got us covered. I pray, Father, if there's somebody here that's never given their life to Christ, they don't have that peace. They're counting on circumstances working out. They're counting on their own resources. Father, I pray you just break them. You let them know that they're going to be an utter failure without you, but you are setting them up for success if they will just surrender themselves to you. Father, we can't do that in the flesh. It doesn't even make sense. You have to make our hearts believe that. And so I pray that that's what you would do today. Help us who already know it to believe it more. And help someone who doesn't know it believe it for the first time. And I pray for these.